You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Democrats have a new slogan. Not a lot of new faces, no branches of our federal government and no hope of a liberal majority on the Supreme Court anytime soon. But we got a new slogan. It goes like this. A better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future. All right. A three-word slogan with better being one of those three words. I can get behind that. And it's a little history-ish and a little dickish, which are two good things to be-ish. A better deal invokes FDR and pokes Donald Trump. The New Deal was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's response to the Great Depression, quote, a series of federal programs, public works projects, and financial reforms and regulations, says Wikipedia, for those of you who don't know nothing about history. And The Art of the Deal, of course, is a book, a book second only to the Bible and its impact on and importance to the ongoing human project, according to a person who had nothing to do with writing that book. That person would be Donald Trump, of course. Because according to Tony Schwartz, the book's actual author, a.k.a. the book's ghostwriter, not only didn't Trump write Art of the Deal, Trump never even read Art of the Deal. But I don't want to relitigate Art of the Deal. That's old news. Not fake, just old. I want to discuss the Democrats' new slogan and their new promises to the American people, which Senator Chuck Schumer listed in an op-ed in yesterday's New York Times. Americans are clamoring for bold changes to our politics and our economy, Schumer wrote, pointing to the results of last November's election as proof. He goes on to point out that Democrats really have always been the party of working people, but working people these days don't know it because Dems, like ours, are in the thrall of big money and big donors, which has skewed the policies and programs of both policies, particularly those proposed by Democrats, and that has skewed perceptions particularly those of the working class, which is not to be confused with the white working class voters, a group we've heard a lot about and a lot from since the election. Anyway, the policies that Schumer rolls out in his op-ed yesterday, they seem pretty decent, raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour nationally, a $1 trillion infrastructure plan that is actually an infrastructure plan, not a massive tax cut for the wealthy that identifies itself as an infrastructure plan, Paid family leave and sick leave, which will be great as long as you aren't one of those Americans who are already entitled to paid vacation days that you don't ever take for fear that your employer will find some other reason to fire your ass if you actually have the nerve to ask for the time off that you've got coming. Dems are also going to go after drug companies and prevent mergers that result in higher costs for consumers. Oh, and tax breaks because always got to be tax breaks in there somewhere for businesses that invest in retraining workers. All right, there are two items that to me seem conspicuous by their absence from this list. The first and most obvious, universal health care. A majority of Americans now support the idea that the government should provide health care for all, which perversely we may have Donald Trump to thank for, in large part because he spent most of the campaign running around the country promising his supporters that he would provide them with cheaper insurance with lower deductibles and that the government would do that for them. He's not doing that now, of course. He's back to Trump care, which would take insurance away from millions and jack up deductibles on the few lucky enough to still have insurance after the Republicans burn it all down. And it's a problem that universal health care isn't in there. And it's a problem that drug costs are in there in the way that they are in there because 
drug costs are just a piece of the healthcare crisis. They're not the whole fucking enchilada. And if this is being bold, if this is the time, as Schumer says, to be bold, why aren't we taking on the whole thing? Drug costs are a problem, but they're a marginal one. Healthcare, that's the issue of which drug costs are a part. Go at healthcare, universal healthcare. And a quick aside to Democrats who always have trouble with messaging, please don't call it single payer because the Republicans will demagogue single payer. They will say to their voters, you know who that single payer the Democrats are talking about are? It's you. You will be paying all by yourself for the health care of everybody else. You are the single payer that they're talking about. Don't call it single payer. Always universal health care. The other item, conspicuous by its absence, making it easier for people to unionize their workplaces also known as card check, a way of unionizing that allows workers to organize by getting a majority of their fellow employees to sign authorization forms, which they don't have to do in front of their employers. They don't have to have a vote. Obama supported card check when he was a senator, and he supported it when he ran for president, but he and congressional Dems didn't do anything about it when they had control of the House, Senate, and White House at the beginning of Obama's term. It was a betrayal of the union movement by Dems. Sick leave, family leave, like paid vacations, are a nice idea. But you're going to need unions to make sure workers can actually have those benefits, access those benefits without being retaliated against. The days that so many Trump supporters pine for, the days of rising middle class incomes, the days when you could get a job right out of high school and make enough money to buy a house and own a car, that was back when unions were strong. Better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future. That's a good start. A lot less squishy than better together. But the list on the agenda that came after that slogan, better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future, missing two important things. Universal health care, strong unions. All right. Coming up on today's show on the micro free edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your questions, lots of my answers. And on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, which you can subscribe to at www.savagelovecast.com. Author John Ronson is here to discuss his new audio project and bespoke pornography and how it's impacted at least one very valuable stamp collection. That's coming up on the Magnum. Hey, Dan Savage. I'm a 50-ish-year-old married man in my uh, uh, on the East Coast, and uh, about 24 hours ago, my 10-year-old oldest told us he was gay, um, and we're still trying to process it, trying to figure out what this means for us, for him, more importantly, see if, how he can live a happy and fulfilled and successful life in a world where it's still difficult to do that at the margins of society. I don't know if you can walk me through this initial shock to our system and tell me how to be a good father to him. I'd appreciate it. At the margins of society, the twi- the tragic twilight world of the homosexual. Are you calling me from the 1950s or are you calling me from St. Petersburg? Are you calling me from Nigeria? Are you calling me from somewhere that really someone who is openly gay is going to be marginalized or brutalized or Chechnya executed for being gay? No, it sounds like you're calling me from North America somewhere. And right now, you're not in a time machine telephone booth calling me from 1962 or 1952 or 1942. Your son, if he is gay, isn't facing 
a life of marginalization isn't going to have a twilight existence right now in our culture where we stand. There's been a lot of progress. You might want to, I don't know, pull back the curtains, open the window and take a look outside and or turn on the TV and acquaint yourself with, I don't know, Rachel Maddow or Anderson Cooper or bop over to C-SPAN and check out a Tammy Baldwin speech. She's a senator, lesbian senator from the state of Wisconsin. It isn't 1955 anymore. Your son, if he is gay, can have a wonderful life with success, a career, a partner, kids, whatever he wants. And he's likelier to have that kind of life as a gay person, if he is a gay person, with your support. And your support is going to be more valuable to him if you don't react to him being gay like it's a fucking never-ending tragedy and he's going to be miserable for the rest of his life because he's going to pick up on that and it could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It could become what he thinks is expected of him by you. And he may perform misery because you've telegraphed that to him. You've told him, oh, you're gay? You're going to be miserable. And then he's like, all right, I'm gay. I'm miserable. Uh, Don't do that. And if you don't know any gay people, now might be the time to meet a few. And there are plenty of gay people out there where if a parent came to them and said, look, I don't have any gay friends. My son just came out to me as gay. Could you help us out if you have a gay distant relative, if you have a gay colleague, coworker, neighbor, just go to that person and say, we're a little at sea here and any advice or even just come over for dinner so that our gay son can see gay people who exist in our community and are valued. And, you know, we're really sorry that we haven't had a gay friend until now and we hate to objectify you in this way, but like there's a 10 year old kid and a future at stake. Can you help us out? Most gay people, myself included, would be like, what would you like me to bring? Can I bring dessert? Can I bring a salad? What do you want, dad? Now, backing up, you may have noticed I kept saying, if your son is gay, my son came out to me when he was about 10 years old. And I don't say this so that you can live in hope that your son ain't gay, but my son came out to me when he was 10 years old because he didn't like girls. And he thought that that meant that he would be gay when he grew up like his dad's. And we had to sit down with him and very patiently explain that it's normal for boys to not like girls. And typically, boys who don't like girls when they're 10 begin to like girls very much at 13 or 14. And we pulled out a photo album and showed him Terry's 11th birthday party or 10th birthday party. I don't remember which. And he is the only boy at this big table full of girls. His 11th birthday party. He loved girls when he was 10 or 11 years old. And my son today, my son is really fucking straight. Super duper straight. So your son may or may not be gay. You need to tell him that gay or not, whoever he is, you will love him and you will support him. And you need to respect what he's told you. He may very well know for a fact that he is gay. He may not be mistaken. So this is the beginning of the conversation that you're going to have with your son. Don't go in there and root for straight. Don't go in there and tell him that it'll be easier for him if he's straight. A lot of Queer people, lesbian, gay, bi, and trans have worked very hard to create a world where more is possible for your son as an openly gay person in our culture, and our society. Also, if your son is gay and he wants to be out, you're going to need to make some proactive moves to protect him. When your kid comes out as queer, even if you think your kid might be queer, you need to look around. You need to look at where you live. You need to look at the church if you go to a church that you go to. You need to look at the schools that you're sending your kid to. And if when you look around, you realize that you live in a place where people are awful to queer people, 
And if you're taking a kid to a church where he's being lied to about queer people, being told that God hates fags, sometimes in a nicer way, but that's the takeaway. Or if you're sending your kid to a school that doesn't have gay-straight alliances or in a school district that doesn't allow for them, or you're sending your kid to religious schools where they get more of that God-hates-fags shit, you might want to move to a better place. You might want to go to a less hateful church. You might want to take proactive steps before your kid is bullied and miserable to prevent your kid from becoming bullied and becoming miserable. There are a lot of parents out there who've had to bury their gay sons because their gay sons were driven to suicide by shitty people in shitty communities and shitty churches and shitty schools who tormented them. You can't make the decision to go to a better church, get your kid into a better school, or move to save your kid's life after your kid is dead. If you think your kid might be gay or lesbian or bi or trans, and you know what? Everybody's kid might be gay or lesbian or bi or trans. You can't always tell. Take proactive steps to make sure your kid is in a place where gay, lesbian, bi, trans people are valued and respected and queer kids are not brutalized physically, spiritually, emotionally. All parents should err on the side of that because you never know whether your kid is queer or not. There are the kids who are obviously queer. I think those parents have a special obligation to bust a fucking move and make sure their kid is safe. And again, it's not always the kids that you can tell who are queer, who are queer. So if you have a gender normative sort of straightish straight boy kind of kid and you feel like you can keep sending him to this shitty church where they're getting the God hates fags line and some shitty school where they're getting the God hates fags line and continue to live in a community where queer people are brutalized or attacked, you may be risking that kid's life too because that kid could be queer. We shouldn't tolerate anti-LGBT bias or bigotry anywhere to protect our kids, all of them. And there's a whole body of research that shows when LGBT kids are safe, straight kids are safer too. Anyway, dad, I'm far, far from your question. It's not a tragedy to have a queer kid. Don't treat him like he's got leukemia and love him, whoever he is, gay or straight. Take a look around. And if there are changes you need to make to protect your queer kid, your gay son, make them. Hi, Dan. I am a 30-year-old woman in um, upstate New York, and I am happily engaged to um, a really great man who is loving and one of the most selfless people I know. Um, we are actually in an open relationship, uh, many thanks to you and the evolution of uh, listening to you. That's all going well, and my question is actually not about him um, or that specifically, but about a guy that I have been chatting with um, over the past several days. I met through a dating app. Everything was fine, no red flags until today when uh, he sent me a picture and I googled the logo that was on his shirt, as one would, and uh, quickly linked from his current job to a video and several news stories that related to him as a former law enforcement officer being charged with um, two misdemeanors and resulting probation from punching and kicking um, an African-American man who was handcuffed already and on the sidewalk. Um, this was obviously a surprise, and sadly, even to be able to qualify this, this was not the worst videos of such a situation that I've ever seen. However, um, obviously something that would 
result in me potentially not feeling safe around him and more importantly, uh, just not wanting to lend him my vagina or anything else. So my question is, should I just ghost him, um, which I normally would not do, or should I say anything about this? I know he travels a lot and meets people that way, so he's not um, local to where I am, but I don't know if there's any good to come out of saying what I found and giving the reason to not speak with him anymore. I He doesn't know enough information about me to be a threat uh, in that way, but I'm not sure if what his reaction would be. Probably not a positive. Um, so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are and if this is something that you think has any merit to bring up to him or not. So your question is, will any good come of telling him why you're not interested in lending him your vagina? And I think there is some good that potentially will come of that. The guy lost his job over this, assaulting that handcuffed, helpless black dude, beating and punching and kicking him, and should have lost his job. And bad cops and police brutality and and, and all we've seen, Philando Castile, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Philando Castile, the execution of unarmed black men by white cops who then walk away scot-free or walk away with $50,000 roughly, which is what the cop who shot Philando Castile was just paid to leave the department, which I predicted here on the podcast a couple of weeks ago would happen, is appalling. And there needs to be social consequences for dudes who engage in this kind of behavior or the Zimmermans of the world who get away with this crap. So I think you should tell him. You should tell him you Googled him. Like any smart, sensible woman, you vet the guys you think you might want to meet up or play with for your own safety. And you learn this thing about him that makes you feel uncomfortable being intimate with him. Unsafe yourself. But also, you don't think he's worthy of your vagina. You don't want to sleep with racist white men who brutalize or assault people of color and then cut off communication with him. If you're not interested in hearing his sob story or his side of the story, and I'm sure he's got his side of the story, or even his redemption narrative if he's constructed one, whether it's bullshit or actual about how he lost it and he's gone to anger management and he's trying to root out his racist attitudes. And and when he thinks about that day or that video or other acts he engaged in, he's racked with shame. He may come back with that. But he has to pay a price. He's paid a price on losing his job, should have gone to jail. But I think it's important that we err on the side of sending a very clear cultural message and there being social accountability too around this kind of racist violence, particularly when someone is wearing a badge. Yeah, so don't lend him your vagina and tell him why he's not getting that spectacular loner. Hello, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I am a long, long time listener, first time caller, and I pretty desperately need your advice. I'm a mid-twenties straight lady in a monogamous relationship with a guy going on three years, and frankly, it hasn't been great for the past 10 months or so. Uh, We had already been out of the honeymoon stage, but we were still doing fine around that time. Um, Around September 2016, there was some trigger that suddenly made everything go terribly. More fights, only vanilla sex, and less of it, fewer things in common, all that stuff. I'm still not entirely sure what the trigger was, but I have a few ideas. Regardless of why or exactly when, basically ever since then, our relationship has been in a limbo, and it all seems to be on my shoulders. 
both of us have been trying to make it work, but I'm almost certainly most of the problem. I seem to have no romantic or sexual interest at all with anyone anymore. Through 2017 so far, we've been having steadily less sex until now when it's been about five weeks. He still has desire and he expresses it, but I just feel nothing. I tried fake it till you make it for a while, but I think that just made it worse since every time I would just end up feeling used and dirty. I'm well aware that I probably have some form of depression and likely always have, and I'm starting therapy next week. Here's my conundrum. I'm seeking help to try to make myself better, but all I really feel for my partner is guilt. I want to love him, but I feel like I'm physically incapable of fulfilling his needs. And I'm afraid that once I start getting better, our huge differences in personality will still be relationship extinction level, and I'll just have wasted more of his time. I'm not too concerned about myself, but even though I don't feel affection like I should, the mental image of him leaving still hurts so badly. Should I let him in this relationship go and give up on the life we've been working on? So you're just seeking treatment for what you suspect may be depression. Is that right? Yes. It it doesn't seem to me like you need to make any moves right now. Why don't you get your ass into therapy, see what your therapist has to say, see what improvements you may make over time, and this guilt you feel about wasting your boyfriend's time – you know, he's an autonomous individual. He's an adult. He gets to make his own choices. And if he chooses to stick with you during this period without any assurance that you guys are going to be together forever, you have to let him make that choice. And you can let him make that choice. You don't have to preemptively dump him before you're ready to dump him because you feel like you ought to dump him or you owe him a dumping because you don't know if it's going to get better. Yeah, and. And that's actually, I had my first therapy session just a couple of days ago, and that was one of the things that she could immediately pick out about me was that I always, I care too much. Um, I'm always trying to basically take care of everybody around me um, mm-hmm. and, you know, put them first, which normally I would think would be a good thing, but it doesn't seem to really be working out for me. Yeah, you got to be a little selfish sometimes. And that that applies to sex as well. You got to be a little selfish about what it is you want to do. And who you want to do it with and what turns you on. and But but I think that's separate. I don't think you're doing sex wrong, which is why your libido has created. I think that if you've been diagnosed with depression or if your therapist or counselor thinks depression may be the issue, that can crater someone's libido really effectively. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, that, that point I just made about selfishness and sex is kind of a, a tangent. What you have to get to the bottom of first with your therapist is the depression issue and unpack that and unlock that and see if you need to be on meds or something else that may help you live with depression and control it rather than having it control you. But what you called me about and what you seemed most upset about was – and you sounded like you began to cry contemplating was being alone or being without your boyfriend Mm -hmm. but feeling like to take care of him like your therapist said, to take care of him, you have to dump him. Because he, what is it? What is it you think that he needs right now that he's not getting from you? Sex? Primarily, um, really just all kinds of intimacy. Like we're, it would be an understatement to say that we're not as close as we used to be. And I know that 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 happens in LTRs, but uh, I don't know. It just seems so unhappy. And when we met, he was 
he's always the kind of upbeat guy that anybody could reach out to, like if they were ever feeling down and he's still that person for other people. It doesn't seem to work for me. He isn't that person for you or you can't ask him for things. You don't feel like you deserve the same from him that you see him give to others. A little of both. I think with me, um, because of all the frustrations that he has with the relationship, he has trouble being that person. Like he, he definitely tries and sometimes he is. And of course we have good days, not all bad, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, not only is it not how it was at first, but I see how much he's changed and how frustrated he is. And that's what really brings that guilt. And is part of what's fueling that guilt is so long as he's with you, he has to live with that frustration. Yes. And your fear of being without him, how upset you got when you, talked about ending things is that Mm -hmm. a fear of not having him in your life and not having this relationship or being alone i I think it's more the former i mean i've i've been on my own before and i don't feel like even if i was alone right now that i would do poorly like i think more than anything i would be a little bored but i'm already doing what i can to reach out to other people and always keep myself busy Um, like pretty much every every day that i don't work i'm like either out with friends or at least talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not by myself. So I've, I've pretty much got that down. It's just, I don't know when I, when I picture him leaving, it just makes me really sad. And I think it's because I want to care and I do care, but I don't like, I'm not all there yet. And it sucks that I've, I've lost that, that part of me. And that's what hurts. How long is he willing to wait? Have you talked to him about that? Not exactly in those terms. Like we've definitely had had talks about um, how long we've been together and what would happen if we split up. But because mid twenties, I got to say, I got to break in mid twenties and together three years, and it's been not great for the last ten months. Almost a third of the time you've been together, that in your mid twenties, a three year long relationship seems like a really long, 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 long term relationship. I'm here from the future to tell you that it ain't. <laughs> I know and. I've had that in my mind too. And that's part of the reason that I asked the question that I did is, well, I'm, I'm in my mid twenties and as mid thirties, early mid thirties. Um, Mm. but still like that is a long time to just putting up with somebody, even somebody (laughs) that you care about if you're not happy. Right. It's a big investment. You've made a big investment, emotional investment, chronological investment, I guess in this relationship. But if it's not making you happy or it's not making him happy and his unhappiness is making you miserable, sometimes people have a hard time letting go of a two or three year relationship because they feel like, ah, oh, that was all a waste. They don't want to, to, to feel like they failed or the relationship failed, but maybe now is not the right time for you two to be together. But that's, that's, yeah, that's kind of where my head is. It's just like, if I'm, if I'm the cause of most of his frustration, which I know that I am, and I mean, it's not all me. There are things about him that I don't like also, but I mean, it's primarily what's going on in my own head and my own life, that's causing him so much grief. Mm-hmm. I don't want to prolong that just on the off chance that everything will be okay soon. Okay. But you can't prolong it unilaterally. Okay. Right. You can't prolong it without his consent. And yeah. I think that's the conversation. This, this would be my advice, like bottom line. That's a conversation you need to have with him. I clearly have a problem with depression. Me shutting down sexually, which is most likely linked to the depression, uh, has made you really upset and frustrated. I'm in therapy now. I'm working on it. 
let's give it three months. Let's give it six months. Or how long are you willing to give it? Three months, six months before there's any improvement? If there's no improvement after that amount of time, then perhaps we should part. And then let him make that choice. Okay. Because right now, staying with you indefinitely without any sign of improvement over the last 10 months means he's looking at you and thinking this may never, this may go on forever. I may be trapped in this relationship without any change for the better forever. But if you guys get to a place where it's like, you know what? Neither of us is trapped. We are both free to go. There are things we love about each other. Otherwise we wouldn't have been together this long. We're going to give it X more amount of time. And in, if in that amount of time there's no improvement, we are going to, have another conversation and we are going to free each other or free ourselves then. And he can okay. go on and, and have a new relationship or not, or have a, a series of new relationships. You can work on your depression issues without feeling pressured to rush through that work, to hold on to your boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And then if you're both still single in a couple of years time, there's nothing in any rule book that says you can't circle back, reconnect, Pick up where you left off. Start dating again. Yeah. Once, I guess, once I'm in a better place and then we can right. kind of And my hunch, my hunch is you might have better results in counseling and therapy working on this issue if you were single. If it wasn't in the back of your head that I'm working on this, desperately trying to, to solve this problem to hold on to him. Because on some level, while you do this kind of work when in therapy and counseling, uh, trying to get on top of your depression, if it's in the back of your head that, that you're not really doing that for yourself, but you're doing it for someone else, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's going to be as, as effective. Yeah. And, and that definitely was a little bit of what sparked it. Um, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure that this has always been an issue for me. So I'm glad that I finally started, uh, but certainly seeing what it's done to him and done to my relationship has it was a catalyst that really got me to go. Well, I'm glad you're seeking the help that you've needed for sounds like a while. Mm -hmm. Don't feel guilty. Give him the choice to stay or go. If he chooses to stay, respect the choice that he's made, but set a time limit. Okay. Good luck. Thank you. Hi, Dan and the at risk youth. I am a 35 year old cisgendered married male. I have had some problems that have been ongoing for like the last six years or so that um, are just ongoing between my wife and my little sister. My little sister has um, borderline personality disorder and my wife has her own issues that are probably undiagnosed, some things from her anxieties and traumas from growing up and that sort of thing. And um while I seem to be completely capable to a certain extent um, with dealing with my little sister's toxic nonsense, uh, my wife is completely 100% susceptible to it to the point where it puts her into hysterics. Like my little sister will attack me like through text or something like that and I won't respond to it and she'll realize that it's not working and so she'll say something maybe about my wife on social media in a roundabout way like just enough so that she can deny it but and then my wife reads it and I tell her not to read the social media and she reads it anyway and then it drives her up the wall and insane and then she 
when I confront my sister about it, she just denies it and she turns it around on me and blames me. And then I'm, I'm, um, I'm accused then by my wife of not doing anything to change the situation or fixing my sister or not getting out my parents enough for going after my 30 year old sister. And I'm pushed into this awkward situation where it feels like a lot of my time is spent with my family arguing with them to do something about somebody that is potentially like incurable. Like it's been 17 years with my little sister with this, with this thing going on. And I don't have a place to, like, I don't know if she'll ever get fixed. So I, I've learned to tolerate it, but she can't. Like my, my wife just spirals out of control and fixates it on, on it so much. And I just, I don't know what to do about it. Is it wrong for me to, to think that, that, that she should keep her distance and not get in, involved with these things? I don't know. Your sister, your 30-year-old sister, is an adult with access to the internet and access to social media and a mental illness. I don't know what your wife expects you to do in this circumstance to prevent your sister from baiting your wife on social media or elsewhere, but there's really not much you can do to stop your sister from having a mental illness or being an asshole on the internet. It's really on you and your wife to block your sister, to not follow her, to not read her tweets, to not be friends with her on Facebook, to block her number so she cannot text you, cannot text your wife. You guys have to build a firewall around yourselves, around your marriage, to protect it and each other from the assaults coming your way from your mentally ill sister. I presume that you've said all this to your wife. I think she needs to hear it from a third party. There's really nothing that you can do here to stop your sister from getting on social media and being a dick. You've said that to her. It sounds like you've said that to her many, many, many times and it hasn't taken. Maybe it'll take, maybe your wife will understand it if she hears it from someone else. Get into therapy. Go see a couples counselor for a few sessions to discuss this particular issue. Don't go into couples counseling for the rest of your lives. Just a few sessions to talk about this because – there's really nothing that you can do about it. There's nothing you can do to stop your sister from being a dick on the internet. And your wife can't continue to blame you for not doing anything about something that you can't do anything about. Yelling at your parents isn't going to change anything. Yelling at your sister isn't going to change anything. Blocking your sister on social media. And your wife's going to have to find the discipline or self-control not to dive into your sister's Facebook page or tweets or Instagram account or wherever else she's seeing these baiting posts. That's really on her. So I don't think you're in the wrong here. And I'm sorry you're in this tough position. I'm sorry you're trapped between your sister and her mental illness and your wife and her irrational expectations around what you can and can't do and what you could or couldn't make happen, or what you can stop and can't stop. So couples counselor time. Make a few appointments. Hello, Dan. I am a 16-year-old male, and I never thought I'd be on the asking end of any of these questions on your podcast, but here we go. I uh, dated a girl months back. Uh, it was fine. I, I wasn't that into it. I'm not really into dating. So as I found out I wasn't really into dating, I ended it promptly. You know, I did it in a semi-nice way. I was trying to be cordial about it. Um, 
said that was fine. We remained best friends. Uh, two months later, she wanted to add sex back into it. And I told her I will be having sex with other people as well. This isn't an exclusive thing. I can't date. She said that was fine. Um, so later she accuses me of fucking her friends behind her back. I wasn't doing that. You know, whatever high school accusation drama shit. Um, but then I played for a job at the Tulsa Zoo, and she thought I did that to fuck her 24-year-old ex-boss, and that was a bit much, so I decided we should pull the sex out of the relationship, see if we can save the friendship, because she's obviously too jealous to handle it, and she's threatened to kill herself. Now, she is a suicidal person, so I didn't want to pull the sex out at that point. I didn't want to risk it. Just the other day, same kind of thing happened again. She accused me of something and didn't even talk to me about it first. And she's, it was just too much for me to handle. So I was like, that's the last straw. No more sex. And, you know, same thing happened again. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to kill myself. Um, I know this sounds a lot like the call from 550 of the high school drama, but I just don't want to lose my best friend. Uh, Help. You're right. When you say this is teen drama, this is absolutely teen drama. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't take the threats she's making seriously. You should take them seriously and you should call in the cavalry in the form of parents, uh, counselors at your school. If you're in school together, you need to let a few other people, trusted adults, as they often say to teenagers, know that this girl that you like and you're concerned about is threatening to kill herself. Suicidal ideation. And she could be suicidal or she could be manipulating you with threats of suicide, which is something that people do and should not do. Or it could be both. She could be straight up legit suicidal and attempting to manipulate you with these threats. So, You got to take it seriously, but you can't handle this on your own and you can't stay in this relationship as a hostage because this person is threatening to kill themselves. Basically somebody pointing a gun at themselves and saying, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to pull the trigger. And that's not a relationship, not even a friendship. That is a hostage situation and you need to get yourself the fuck out of it. And how you get yourself out of it is by calling in the cavalry is by shifting responsibility for this situation to the responsible parties, to the adults in the room, as they say, but the adults in this young woman's life, her parents, her family. If her parents are useless, maybe she has aunts or uncles that you can get in contact with. If they're useless, people at the school, counselors, teachers, an intervention may need to be staged that you are not qualified to stage or in any position to because you have no authority over her. She's not your daughter, not your child. So – Call in the cavalry and however much you like this person, whatever good qualities she has, I think you need to end this relationship. And that may result in threats escalating because up to now, when you've attempted to disengage or she's done something shitty that might have prompted you to disengage, she has threatened suicide. Once she sees that you're actually headed for the door, that you're ending this relationship, she may respond to that with a barrage of threats because in the past, the threats have worked. She's threatened suicide and it has resulted in her being able to successfully control you to a certain extent. So if you tell her that you've called in the parents, you've called in the counselors, you've called in the cavalry and you can't see her and she needs to get help and 
the threats get worse, report that to the cavalry, let the parents know, but don't cave. Don't give in to that kind of emotional blackmail. She's going to keep issuing these threats as long as they work. And up to now they've worked. And you need to resolve that they are no longer going to work. You're no longer going to be manipulated like this. You're not going to be held hostage anymore. Hey, Dan. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm in Ohio. So this is kind of a weird question, but um, last night I had a one-night stand with a, uh, with a guy. Very hot, hairy chest, uh, all that. I think he had a micro deck. I mean, it's very, very small and kind of hidden by uh, kind of a fatty pad, I suppose. But in retrospect, it might have been well, it might have been a clitoris that had been kind of reconstructed to, to become a penis. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I've, I've played with trans men before, and I don't have a problem with a micro dick because I'm not a size queen, and, and like what he did, he was really good at it. So, But my question is, do I have a right to ask him if he is trans or if he has a micro dick? Because I, I don't care either way, and so I, I guess I don't need to know, but... I would like to, you know, to meet up with him again. I, I, I don't know what the protocol is. If it doesn't make any difference to you whether this guy is trans or has a micro dick and you want to keep seeing him, why ask? Why bring it up? Just keep seeing him. At some point, if you guys continue to hang out and continue to see each other, you will become more intimate and you will perhaps have conversations about your histories, about your bodies, uh, about your dicks. And if at that point you're new friend, your new fuck buddy or your new boyfriend wants to open up to you about his dick, he will. And if it's irrelevant to you, whether it's a trans guy or a cis guy with a micro dick, why ask now? And why potentially ruin what could be the beginning of a beautiful relationship by asking now, by putting him on the spot, by making him feel self-conscious? I guarantee you any guy out there with a micro dick feels self-conscious about it to some extent. It's probably been rejected for that reason on numerous occasions by guys who are cockhounds or size queens or are just cruel. And so he knows that there's something up with his dick and he probably appreciates that you appreciated his body and his dick as is. And if you continue to appreciate his body and his dick as is, and you're there and you're into him, it'll come out. You will learn in time who he is you don't have a right to all that information after a hookup, after a one-night stand. So you want to keep seeing him? Keep seeing him. And the info and the intimacy will come in time. We're going to take a quick break from the calls to speak with John Ronston. He is the author of The Psychopath Test, The Man Who Stared Goats, and So You've Been Publicly Shamed, a book I love and highly recommend and frequently recommend and pushed on yet another reader in a savage love letter of the day this week. Hey, John, it's so great to have you. Dan, thank you for having me. It's good to be here, and thank you for being nice about so you've been publicly shamed. You know, it's not the reason we're we're speaking today, but I I really want to just take a moment of personal privilege before we start and thank you for so you've been publicly shamed. It changed how I use Twitter and I function online because there was a line in the book in a in a section about people piling onto someone who said something stupid on the internet, and it really brought me up short. And the line was, "The snowflake doesn't feel responsible for the avalanche." And there were so many of us online just, you know, if somebody fucked up or stepped on a rake, you know, we would all like pile on and everybody just felt like they weren't destroying this person necessarily. And I have like backed way the fuck off the pylons after reading that. And thank you. 
Thank you. Well, you know, it's it's because we play these weird psychological tricks on ourselves. We want to hurt people and not feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we pile in on somebody and, you know, tear them to shreds and change their life forever. And and then we just get on with our day. And if anybody, you know, I asked, you know, at one point during, and in fact, I think this relates to my, to my new project uh, in a way. Um, at one point, I was talking to this guy who had initiated a, uh, a kind of, you know, onslaught against this this woman who'd made a joke that came out badly. And I asked him, like, how it had felt to have started this this thing against this woman, which mm. had completely changed her life, you know. And he said it felt delicious. And then he said to me, oh, but you know what, I'm sure she's fine now. And it was like two weeks later. And that just stayed with me. Like, he didn't say that for no reason. He said it because... To absolve himself. That weird... Yeah, it's cognitive dissonance, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're good people, but we've done something bad, and we can't handle those two contradictory thoughts swirling around in our heads at the same time. So we have to kind of expel one of those thoughts. You're also not here to talk about Okja, a terrific new film available on Netflix about a giant pig and the Korean girl who loves him that you wrote or helped write or co-wrote? <laughs> yeah. Uh, co-wrote. I co-wrote it with the great director Bong Joon-ho, which, by the way, is about the same thing, because the moral of Okja is, you know, to eat the meat, you need to ignore the existence of the slaughterhouse. Uh, and Okja is a film about um, a, a magical giant super pig that's taken by an evil corporation uh, and and the, the pig's best friend Mija has to rescue it before it's uh, slaughtered for its meat. So it's kind of about the same thing. It's about how we have to pretend that the things that we eat and the, and the animals that we love are, are two separate things. You're here to talk about a new audio series coming out uh, on Audible about the unexpected and often ignored repercussions of online porn. What inspired you uh, and sparked an interest in pornography? Well, you know, everything that we've just talked about, uh, to eat the meat, you need to ignore the slaughterhouse. And in this case, the this slaughterhouse case you're, you're beating the, the meat and ignoring the slaughterhouse. And the slaughterhouse is um, everybody getting their porn for free these days on Pornhub and just not thinking about the consequences. And, and a couple of things happened, which, which kind of got me into this. Well, I, well, I tell you. Okay, well, I think two things happened. Uh, I was uh, when I was writing, so you've been publicly shamed. I, I met my first porn star, um, and I, I was interviewing her for that book uh, because she does these um, porn scenarios that are all about acting out your worst humiliations. Mm-hmm. So I was interviewing her, and, and I, I wanted to meet her in um, in Los Angeles. I was staying at this fancy hotel in Los Angeles, and and the. Um, receptionist filled my room and said, you know, your guest is waiting for you downstairs. So I went downstairs and everybody in the lobby was dressed exactly how I dress, which is like inconspicuous, you know, James Purse hoodies, mm. like greys and blues, except for the woman that I was meeting who was just in, you know, in this sort of very tight, bright blue dress. And she looked like this kind of otherworldly, great mad peacock. And and I walked towards her, and I happened to look over at the hotel receptionist as I, as I walked towards this woman, and, and he was looking at her, and he didn't know that anybody was looking at him, looking at her, and, and the look on his face was, was contempt, uh, disgust. Uh, 
and, I, and it made me think, God, you know, I bet you're okay with her when she's on your computer, mm-hmm. but you're not okay with her when, when she's in your vicinity. That, re- that reaction to people in pornography is really common. I have some friends who do porn, and they get a lot of grief from, you know, just casual mm-hmm. fucking asshole passes by, sometimes in gay bars. And you know all these gay guys in gay bars are watching pornography, mm-hmm. and then they meet or see an actual porn star, and they somehow feel this need to sneer at them as if they're not then complicit in pornography or a, a part of the chain of consumption of pornography you know i, I watch porn, right. but at least i'm you know i'm a good enough person that i'm going to treat somebody who makes porn like shit yeah exactly well it's back to that cognitive dissonance like i'm sure the person that we've just destroyed on twitter is fine and i'm sure that meat we're eating doesn't come from an actual animal it's the same thing right uh but but in some ways it's it's it, it's you know it's so pernicious because our contempt and disinterest um of them while we are watching their content for free on Pornhub is having like significant effects on their lives. And we're not thinking about that. We just don't want to know. I, I went to this um, radical honesty uh, group, church group in um, New Orleans, where these like, you know, young church kids were, were, were confessing their darker secrets. And one of them, one of them said that her darker secret was that she watched uh, Pornhub and had been watching it since she was 12. And I said to her afterwards, like, did you ever like, did you ever get so into it that you, you learned their names? Like, oh, there's James Dean or there's Stoyer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, 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 you don't. I, I never learned their names because it's like when you kill a deer, you don't name it because then you can't eat it. So, so and I'm always really interested in the people who, in in telling, I know, and she was very like self-aware when she said that, but she meant it. I mean, that Um, goes right to the dehumanization uh, that that people subject porn stars and sex workers to. Right. That attitude. That's almost a pure crystallization of that dehumanizing impulse when we talk about people who work in the sex industry. Exactly, and and I so I wanted to tell a humanizing story i mean i you know i love nothing more than to tell humanizing stories about people who other people dehumanize uh so that's that's why i wanted to tell the story and and my producer lena and i have basically embedded ourselves in the porn world uh, for like a year maybe a year and a half now and and it's it's basically telling the story about what happened when tech took over porn mm-hmm. that's really what it's about what it did to the industry and it really changed the industry uh, but you also look at then what it did to us, to the consumer, the ubiquity of it, and the ease of accessing it. Yeah, um, and and it's not all kind of dark stuff, by the way. One of one of the happiest stories that I that I found was because all the money's gone from the San Fernando Valley into the pockets of the tech giants in faraway places like Montreal, which is where Pornhub comes from, um, they had to, like porn people, had to find new ways to make money. And, and some of them, you know, did what you'd imagine, like some of them went into escorting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but some of them um, went into this, kind of created a new industry in the valley, which just blew me away. It's so interesting and so amazing. What is it? Uh, it's bespoke porn teams of um porn people making entire porn films for just one viewer like if you've got ten thousand dollars or five thousand dollars even and you desperately want to see a porn film the likes of which just doesn't exist anywhere 
anywhere in the world. You write the script and send it to them and they'll make it just for you. And so we, we Lena and I, just spent a lot of time in the world of bespoke porn lately. And it's such an amazingly, you know, lovely, strange insight into people's inner lives. Wow, that, that is amazing. And why, yeah. why, why an Audible series? Why not a book? Why is this something that we're all going to listen to as opposed to read? Well, um, and the honest answer is that So You Being Publicly Shamed was, was a very kind of stressful thing for me because when the book came out, it became very, very noisy. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody had an opinion on it. Um, you know, lots of people who decided that, you know, they enjoyed shaming people. They, there was an attempt wanted... to, to shame you for not participating in the shaming of people who, when you dug into it, had their statements uh, had been unfairly characterized or they were just awkward and easily misinterpreted. And you came to the defense of people that others were still long after the fact really invested in sticking yes. knives into and then of course knives got stuck into you because that's how the internet works exactly yeah and it was you know it, it it lasted a long time and it was painful and i really wanted to do something that was kind of more fun and and um there's something about being on porn sets that's kind of collegiate and fun it's kind of like being you know it's kind of like being at a broadway you know backstage at a broadway show it's like it's a kind of collegiate <laughs> theatrical atmosphere on these sets but in, in the nice side of porn i mean yeah. i'm sure there's bad porn sets you the know, blow sure must go stuff. on someone must say there has to be a bad pun person <laughs> on every uh, porn set i hope who says things like the blow must go on Right. Um, and so it was fun being there. But then I wanted to do, you know, I listened to a lot of audio. I, I, a lot of my books are listened to on audio book, like lots of people, you know, listen to my books as opposed to reading them. And I just thought it might be like a nice change to do like a really highly produced, you know, original book that's just for audio. I, I just realized we've been talking about your uh, audio series all this time, and I never said the name. What is the name of it, and where can people find it? We talked about your new Audible series, yeah. on, Online Porn and Its Impact, but I didn't give the name. What is it, and where is it? Uh, okay, so it's called The Butterfly Effect. Uh, and the reason why I called it that is because I wanted the entire series to be tracing a butterfly effect, and the, the flap of the butterfly's wings in this cases this kid in brussels called fabian having an idea and his idea was to get rich from giving the world free online porn or um, porn, and, porn producers would say ripping off paid yes, porn and exactly. repackaging it and giving it away for free and stealing from them yeah um i mean Pornhub is a massive depository of pirated content uh, mm-hmm. illegally uploaded by fans. I mean, the one thing that they sort of angrily reject, the Pornhub people, is that they're the ones uploading the pirated content. You know, they're basically a hosting service for other people to upload the pirated content. So they're just a pawn shop receiving them. stolen goods. They're not out there breaking into people's homes. Is their yeah, argument? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if you, if you ask them to take it down, you know, they'll take it down. But, but the problem is, it's like... You know, I, as, as, as one porn producer, Mike Quasar, said to me, like, you know, sure, I can, you know, I used to be obsessed. Like, every time I saw one of my films on porn, I'd say, take it down. But it's like, you know, it's like cutting down a forest with a butter knife. Mm-hmm. 
so and you know that's where we are now so so that's why it's called the butterfly effect i wanted to because the whole series the whole seven part series is about tracing the consequences of this idea like out and out and out and i should say like this isn't like an issue thing uh, i mean it is about issues but what it is most of all is that this amazing kind of adventure story of 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 us tracing the consequences of of free porn to the most unexpected places so for instance in the world of bespoke porn one guy a norwegian man um desperately wanted a porn film in which uh, he'd spent like 40 years amassing uh, an expensive stamp collection and his porn fantasy was for three porn stars to destroy his stamp collection oh my god uh, so, yeah, so one of the consequences of Fabian giving the world three porn is three naked porn women destroying a Norwegian man's stamp collection. So that's that's the kind of narrative that we are going through in the series. You know, we like to say if it exists in the world, someone somewhere is out there jacking off about it, but I never would have predicted that someone somewhere was out there jacking off about having their stamp collection set on fire. <laughs> I know, I know, isn't it amazing? Um, we spent a year trying to convince stamps man to tell us his story uh and he did eventually getting back to the um, title really quickly um here i thought mm-hmm. you called it the butterfly effect because you were as big an ashton kutcher fan as i am <laughs> that's not the case not the case uh, I, I find ashton kutcher slightly problematic <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, maybe that's what i like about it maybe i have a problematic fetish maybe the thing that i jack <laughs> off to late at night is problematic people Right, exactly. It's problematic reality TV. <laughs> a friend of mine was punked. Um, I, my next door neighbour was punked. So I used to live next door to uh, uh, Nev Campbell. Oh um, my God! Remember? Yeah, and she got punked. So maybe, and I think she was a little cross about being punked. So I, maybe that's why I have those feelings about about Ashton Kutcher. All right, John, before we let you go, sometimes when we get people on the phone, we like to throw a question at them from the pile. Are you up for tackling a listener question with me? Yes. All right, here we go. We're going to tackle this one. Hey, Dan, I have a question for you and maybe some of the listeners. Um, (laughs) I just got back from uh, the gym here in L.A., and um, I believe some guy in the locker room stole my disgustingly sweaty towel, uh, gym towel, which incidentally I had just bought and I was kind of bummed about. But uh, he, uh, I, I, I think when I was taking a shower, he left the fresh towel that was hanging in the, on, the, on the hook and uh, took the disgusting sweaty towel. I had just been in the sauna with this, with this guy at the same time. Nothing happened in the sauna after we were in the sauna together, he came up to me and asked me if I knew where he could plug in his phone or something. Like I kind of felt like maybe he was trying to connect with me in some way, which of course, you know, cool, whatever, uh, not my thing, but more than cool for him to be trying that. And then, and then I think I saw him and from the corner of my eye, take my disgusting towel. So I'm just wondering if this is a thing. Do people steal people's disgusting gym towels to take home with them. What the hell's going on? 
Okay, well, I, I, I have two thoughts. My first thought is that it's a, it's a, it's a big compliment, and he should take it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, my, and my second thought is, yes, this is a thing. Uh, do you know the, do you know the Pink Floyd song Arnold Lane? No, the old six. Oh yeah, it's about, it's about this. Um, there's a, it, it's such a thing that Pink Floyd wrote a song about it. Um, in, in Britain, where I come from, um, stealing like underwear from from washing lines uh, is a thing. It's like a thing that that people do to get off on. It's it's like a kind of um, it's a fetish that you that people in the middle of the night will go and steal underwear from people's washing lines. Do people take that as a compliment? No, no, no. I mean, I'm I'm just trying to give it a more, uh, I'm to give it like a positive spin. No, I'm sure that no, I, people get like arrested for it. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's um, it's kind of creepy in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that this guy sits, you know, see it, see it in the kind of half glass, glass half full way. I was going to ask you, but, you know, if underwear stealing from washing lines was such a kind of ubiquitous thing in Britain in this sort of 1960s and 1970s, surely it was in the United States as well. Or was it like a culturally specific perversion? I think it was a culturally specific perversion because most people in the United States don't hang their laundry out on lines. Most people in the United States have clothes dryers. So you literally have to break into someone's house and rifle through their clothes dryer to steal their right. underwear. It's funny that this guy, we take this question, this particular question, he says, is this a thing? And, you know, one of the lessons of your show and certainly the example of the stamp collector is that everything's mm. a thing. Mm. Of course it's a thing. Everything's a thing. But this is a big, I mean, this is like a pretty ubiquitous thing. Or well, certainly, you know, when I grew up in Britain in the 60s and 70s, it was a, it was a thing. Like people would, you know, it was like kind of, it was like a sort of less, offensive form of like flashing or something mm-hmm. um i'm surprised he so, stole the yeah. towel because usually when you hear about somebody making off with some piece of sweaty fabric from a gym it's underwear a jockstrap or socks and not a towel no no you could that's not an accident right that 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 was a deliberate act presumably i would say Hmm. I was going to say maybe he just took a towel back and thinking it was his towel, but that doesn't seem likely. No, he wanted to fuck this dude, and clearly the dude wasn't. Except, you know, maybe maybe you should be complimented. Sometimes you know people creep on me at the gym a little bit. I'm not complimented. I'm gay, and it like makes me it unnerves me if you're you know in a gym and you're changing and you're sweaty or in the sauna and some guy is like sidling up to you asking you inane questions that are obviously you know intended just to like suss you out and see if you might be interested it makes it makes me uncomfortable it's because compliments of any sort particularly sexual ones make me really uncomfortable but yeah but that's not the question that the the caller had he wasn't is this creepy his question was is it a thing and absolutely everything's a thing yeah are you saying dan that if somebody sees you at the gym and wants to come on to you you are saying please don't come on to me instead take my towel (laughs) i would rather have them take my towel and I think there's a time and a place to to, to flirt uh, at the gym, perhaps. A lot of gay men like to go to the gym. And it's not in the locker room, not when you're naked. Like if you want to approach somebody right. and, and, and spark up a conversation to see if there might be mutual interest, that you do uh, by the free weight bench. You don't do that uh, in the sauna. Yeah, or, or, or in the juice bar in the, in the lobby. Exactly. John Ronson, his new yeah. Audible series is The Butterfly Effect. Thank you for... Tackling a question with us, it's always fun. <laughs> advice, sex advice, any idiot can do it if I can do it. And I'm glad that you were willing to do it too. 
So I'm glad that my years of wanting to be a sex therapist have finally come to fruition. Thank you so much. It was so great talking with you. And, and congratulations uh, on uh, Okja. And thank you again for So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And uh, I've listened to two episodes of The Butterfly Effect and love them both. I can't wait to listen to the rest. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. It was great talking to you. Hi, Dan. 28-year-old female from the Bay Area, straight, in a straight relationship with a guy for about one year. He decided to go through my phone and go through my history on my phone and found my porn stash. I watch a lot of uh, hardcore porn, sometimes like gangbanging or double anal. And he was very upset when he found it. He started calling me things like a monster, stating that there's something wrong with me. I try to explain to him that this isn't what I want in real life and that porn is porn and nothing to be taken seriously, but he is stuck on the idea that my mind is down the rabbit hole and that I have been so desensitized and that this reflects my true character. Although he was upset and ended up calling me those names. He said, you know, he really loves me and he wants to stay with me. And this is something that we can work on together, but I don't know what to say to him um, in regards to saying that what I'm doing isn't wrong. Um, I don't feel it's wrong. I don't watch it excessively. I watch it I don't know, once or twice a week at most on a bad week where I just have a high sex drive. You're disgusting. You're broken. You are a slatternly woman of bad character. And I love you. That kind of doesn't make sense. That thing there at the end, that thing tagged on there at the end, dropped in there at the end. I love you. And I want to stay with you, even though you're a disgusting, broken woman, slatternly woman of bad character. Uh, I think you need to dump this motherfucker. It's nice to get a call like this where it's the woman's porn that was found by the snooping partner just to show that this isn't just men who like porn or hardcore porn or men who have fantasies that they may not want to act on in real life. And it's not just men, straight men, who have partners who invade their privacy and snoop into their porn collection and feel that they have a right to police another person's interior erotic life, their erotic imagination, their fantasies, some of which they may not want to act upon and some of which they may actually want to act upon. Gangbangs, double penetration, these things are fine to fantasize about. They're also fine to do if you can do them consensually and safely and responsibly. And you know what? You can. It is possible to do those things consensually and safely and responsibly. So fantasize away and you might want to find a boyfriend who isn't threatened by the breadth and depth of your erotic imagination and things that turn you on, whether or not you ever want to act on them and who is willing to allow you to have a zone of erotic autonomy and even privacy as you should allow him to have a zone of erotic autonomy and privacy. This guy that you only invested a year in sounds like kind of a slut shaming, sex phobic, kink phobic asshole. And I promise you, if you stay with him, if you don't take my advice, if you don't dump this motherfucker already, you don't dump this motherfucker yesterday, DTMFY, this will come up again and again and again and again. 
anytime you have a fight, anytime that there's a conflict about desire or about your relationship, he's going to raise this issue because he's so insecure, because he knows it's a stick that's laying there that he can always pick up to beat you with and control you with. And it has been my experience that someone who freaks out, my personal and professional experience, that someone who freaks out in this way, like an ex-gay counselor who is obviously gay himself, is externalizing an internal conflict, is attacking you for something that they know themselves to be guilty of as well. Him freaking out at you about your taste in pornography, about your fantasies, I promise you, he has fantasies that are as, and I'm making air quotes here, little bunny ears, rabbit ears with my fingers around the microphone. He has fantasies that are as bad as your fantasies, if not worse. His desire to control your fantasy life is an externalization, most likely of an internal conflict of his, where he is struggling to control his fantasy life, whatever it might be. Freaking out about you being into gangbangs and DP, who knows, maybe he's into necrophilia and centaurs like there's something going on with him that he is ashamed of and this desire to control you to police you is an expression of his frustrations and his inability to control and police himself you might want to say that to him and see how he reacts what are your forbidden fantasies everybody's got something from column c a b c c for crazy everyone's got something from column c these are my column C items. What are yours? And if he can't articulate them or if he freaks out or doubles down on the slut shaming and sex shaming and kink shaming and you're bad and you're broken and you're a terrible woman of low character, that will just reconfirm for you what I have already told you, which is you have to got to dump this motherfucker. Hey, Dan. Late 20s, gay guy. My boyfriend and I have been together about six years now and we're super happy. He's really hot. We're really compatible, and frankly, I just know he's the one. We're just so compatible. A couple of years ago, we kind of opened up our relationship where we would play with uh, other guys, either meeting them at the club or getting on an app, but we would you know, always play together. And for the most part, this has been awesome. It's been really hot, and it's, uh, it's been something we really enjoy. Um, I really enjoy it, and I know he does too. Um, because we've been together um, and our lives are kind of adapting or evolving, you know, marriage is certainly on the table. It's just that my boyfriend says he doesn't want to get married because uh, marriage is more than just a piece of paper to him, and he feels like uh, in order to make that commitment, we're going to have to stop playing with other guys, and he's not willing to do that yet. Um, I think this is kind of flawed logic because I don't understand how you just stop doing what we're doing. Um, we only do it when we're out of town, but it's something we enjoy. And the other thing is, I, I just, I don't see the reason why just because you're married, you can't do this. Um, I really want to get married. It's, it's kind of getting tiring calling in my boyfriend. And, and frankly, there's so many advantages to, uh, to getting married that, um, I think we both want to pursue, but he still wants to wait until we're both ready to, to give up playing with others. Before we get to your real question, just want to say for the record, as I like to do, that there is no one. There is no the one out there for anyone. What you're saying is you've met your 0.64 or if you're lucky, you're 0.72 and you are rounding him up to the one as he is doing for you. There are two things that could be going on here. It could be that your boyfriend misunderstands what marriage is. Marriage is whatever the two people in it say that it is. You can be married 
and be monogamous or not. You can be married and have children or not. You can be married in church or you can be married at city hall. So you can be religious and married or secular and married. We only hear that marriage is about monogamy, children, and religion. We only began to hear that articulated in that particular way when same-sex couples began to demand the right to marry. There are lots of non-monogamous married couples out there, straight and gay and bi and whatever else. Monogamous is a choice that a couple can make. It is the choice that most, particularly most straight married couples make, but it is not a choice that you have to make. And a couple that is married and not necessarily monogamous is no less married than any other couple. Perhaps your boyfriend just needs to do a little reading. I would recommend the commitment by that dangerous homosexual Dan Savage. The other thing that could be going on here, not just that your boyfriend doesn't understand that monogamy is a choice that a married couple may make and many may make or most may make but don't have to make, is that it could be that your boyfriend isn't as comfortable with these three ways and out-of-town adventures as you are. It could be that your boyfriend is going along with you on these adventures because he knows you like them and he wants to meet your needs, but he isn't into it in the same way. He's not comfortable with it in the same way. Or maybe he enjoys it, but there's some conflict there that leaves him with post-orgasmic regret afterwards. And it's not as joyful for him as it is for you. That's something you might want to talk to him about. He could be setting down a chit and saying, okay, you want to get married and I want to stop having three ways because I don't enjoy them as much as you do. And he hasn't said this to you directly. So if you want to get married, which is what you want, then what I want is to stop having three ways. That's possible. Sometimes there are people out there having three ways and having very special guest stars over and one partner is really into it and the other is going along to get along and the other partner isn't aware. And the partner who's into it is just not aware that their partner is playing along because they're playing along so convincingly. You might want to run that to ground. You might want to sit down with your boyfriend and say, our adventures as a couple, as an unmarried couple that I've enjoyed so much, I don't see why we can't enjoy them as a married couple. Do you enjoy them the way I enjoy them? And really ask him to be honest with you. Ask him to open up to you about it because that's a whole other conversation you guys need to have because if he's having sex with others and you under duress for fear that you're going to leave him if it stops because if he's having sex with other people and you together, these three ways, these adventures, and it's not as happy an experience for him or if he's having them under a kind of duress, if he's afraid that if he doesn't do these things with you, that you'll leave him for someone else. That's a cancer that's going to eventually consume your relationship and kill it. Whether or not you ever marry. My money is on the former though. My money is on your boyfriend has it in his head that once you are married, you must be monogamous. And that is not true. Monogamy is a choice. A couple can make an unmarried couple or a married couple and you guys are free to write your own rules and create your own marriage. And just as a general note, there are a lot of people out there who think that once you're married, the fun stops. Once you're married, then you have to settle down. Once you're married, there's no more adventures. Then you have to get serious about your commitment. And that's fucking stupid. That's dumb. Because if your idea of marriage is marriage is the death of fun. It's the death of adventure. Not that you two can keep going out and having adventures together as a couple as you already have. You, you caller in particular, but others also out there. That incentivizes getting the fuck out of your marriage. If the only way you can ever have adventure or new experiences, whether they involve others or not, if the only way you can ever have fun again 
is to get out of your marriage, you will get the fuck out of your marriage. People will sabotage their marriages to get out of them if one or both partners believe that marriage means we have to be serious now and being serious now means no more of that, whatever that was. No more crazy sex, no more uh, sex with other people, no more adventures, whether they involve other people or not. A good marriage, a lasting marriage, a fun and sexually fulfilling marriage is a marriage where there are two people who are kind of co-conspirators, creating adventures together, having adventures together. And I'm not saying that those adventures all have to be non-monogamous adventures. It's possible for two people to have a monogamous relationship that is very fulfilling, that involves sexual adventures and and, and risk-taking and joy. You want your marriage to be joyful because if your marriage isn't joyful sexually and in other ways, you're going to get the fuck out of it. So your boyfriend, if he has it in his head that marriage means getting serious and marriage means the end of adventure and fun, that's a bad attitude to take. That undermines marriage. Marriage, we want it to be forever. I'm sure your boyfriend, if he believes that marriage means monogamy, believes marriage is also forever. But those impulses are at war with each other. If you believe that marriage is forever, you also believe marriage is when the fun stops. Your marriage is less likely to last forever. You want to keep having fun together. Just the two of you together, if your commitment is monogamous, or the two of you and whoever else together, if your marriage is open and your commitment allows for others. Hi, I'm calling in response to episode 560 with the caller whose friend's girlfriend didn't want want him to watch Game of Thrones. Um, I completely agree with you that it's not okay for her to put limits on what he can and cannot watch, but it seems possible to me that this woman may have some firsthand experience with sexual violence. Unfortunately, with the rate of sexual assault in our country, it's not unlikely that she has some experience with it. Um, And it can be really painful in situations like that um, to see your loved ones watching sexual violence as entertainment and not seeing it as a big deal. Um, When for you, as someone who has suffered rape or sexual assault, it's a really personal and raw thing. And I mean, like not to mention the current political climate that is so invalidating of survivors like that certainly doesn't help that feeling. So I agree with you. That doesn't mean it's okay for her to prohibit him from watching Game of Thrones. As you mentioned, like restricting another adult's media choices is not a good thing for an adult to do. And like, it's not likely that he's getting his kicks from the rape scenes, but bringing a sense of empathy to that conversation and trying to understand why the show upsets her so much seems like an important thing to do. Just calling uh, in response to the lady with the uh, partner who has a problem with uh, performing oral sex on her. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a gay man, but I work in a uh, very masculine environment with uh, no other gay men. And I, I don't know any guys who don't think that reciprocating oral sex is mandatory. It's she's, it's just got to do it. In fact, <laughs> what, what we call rimming, my heterosexual friends call booty munching, and they are huge on it. So if she's having a problem with a wonderful guy who won't reciprocate this, there are many, many guys out there who are willing to do significantly more. Hey, Dan. I'm calling a response to the woman at the very end who had a lying boyfriend. I am just so bewildered by this dude's lies. You just can't go back to this dude. It was a story. Like, it wasn't just like something came up and you're like, you know, did you leave the toilet seat? Oh, no. Oh, no. And it was just one time, like, shit, you know, I fucked up. And I don't want to get her mad at me. It was... I'm getting a degree. I work for the government doing top secret work. Also, by the way, let me say, as somebody who holds a top secret clearance, one, you have to tell people that if you're dating them seriously pretty early on, you know why? Because in order to get your clearance, 
the government has to pry into your life, including your loved ones. So that's just not something you would keep from somebody you were dating for more than a month. And when it comes out to people that I do that, I don't say, I do top secret work for the government. I hold a top secret clearance. Why? Because occasionally there's work that's top secret that I'm involved in. This guy is a total fucking liar. He's going to lie to you about everything. Why do women feel sorry for men like this? Why do they feel guilty and go back to them? I don't understand. Get rid of him. Block him. Block his number. It is going to be nothing but trouble. Good luck, girl. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow John Ronson on Twitter at John Ronson. He spells it without an H. J-O-N Ronson. And be sure to listen to his new audio channel program, the butterfly effect like everything john ronson does it is fascinating and hilarious the savage love cast is produced every week by nancy hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and nancy we'll be back at you next week in the installment of savage love cast Bye.